If God is sovereign, why pray? Can praying change God's mind or God's will? If so, is He sovereign? Why does God want us to pray? Today we'll take a closer look at prayer. And is Israel's demise inevitable, as some in the Middle East say? This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. All the prayer in the world will not stop a hurricane. All right, that's Joe Biden. He was running for president of the United States, and he said prayer cannot stop a hurricane. Here's the question. Does prayer really change things? And there are really two ways we're going to talk about this question today. There are liberals and moderates out there who really believe that prayer is just for us. It makes us feel better. And uh, when you hear Joe Biden talk, that's really, I think, the way he thinks about prayer. We're going we're gonna to look into this. Does prayer really change things? Can it change things? And a second question, for those who take the Bible seriously, they believe in the sovereignty of God, the providence of God. God is in control. Can we really think that our prayer could alter God's master plan or be a part of that in any way? We're going to take your calls. Beginning right now, the number is 800-881-9270. i got Dr. Barry Kramer here with me in the studio. He teaches philosophy and theology here at Criswell College. We're ready to hit this for two full segments. Questions about prayer. Questions about miracles in prayer. Questions about the sovereignty of God. If God has a master plan, if God is working everything according to the good pleasure of His will then um, who are we to try to change that? How does prayer fit into that? 800-881-9270. But first, last night in Austin, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama went at it. Hillary Clinton really needed to change the narrative and the momentum. She needed to do something spectacular. She tried, and she hammered Barack Obama for political plagiarism. Lifting whole passages from someone else's speeches is not change you can believe in. It's change you can Xerox. All right, change you can Xerox. And there was some booze last night when she said this. She went on to uh, deliver this point and say, look, you use Governor Patrick's words. 
You didn't credit him. If your candidacy is going to be about words, then they should be your own words. That's, I think, a very simple uh, proposition. Okay, the point being that uh, the quotation was about the power of words, and she's saying you should be using your own words. Well, Barack Obama responded. I'm happy to have a debate on the issues, but what we shouldn't be spending time doing is tearing each other down. We should be spending time lifting the country up. All right, and I think Barack Obama actually uh, has a point, even though he made a mistake by not crediting the governor. Look, Hillary Clinton adopted his mantra of change as soon as that seemed to be working in the early primary. She became a change candidate. She's been saying, let's take back America. That's actually an old Pat Buchanan slogan from many years ago. And uh, politicians pretty adept at... um, really adopting whatever words seem to be working at the moment. Mitt Romney, the master of doing that, changing to the theme of of the day or of the week or of the month. And so uh, I I would say this, folks, if you're listening and watching uh, the primaries, Hillary Clinton did not change the momentum, the narrative, uh, the movement last night. And she's in trouble and she's probably not going to win Texas. If she doesn't win Texas, she's finished. If she wins it, uh, they will continue to slug it out all the way to the convention. It'll be very interesting to watch and to follow that. But, folks, here's our issue of the day. And since we were talking about uh, the Democrat presidential candidates, let's just listen to John Edwards on prayer. I don't think you can prevent bad things from happening through prayer. All right. Edwards says you can't prevent bad things from happening with prayer. And so there are folks who think that prayer uh, is essentially... Um, not effectual in changing reality in any way. We want to talk about that question because we've been praying for Dr. Moeller, for instance. Many evangelicals have heard in the last week there was a press release that Al Moeller uh, has an upcoming surgery. He's been on this broadcast. He believes in the sovereignty of God big time. I can tell you I know this guy. So why would we pray if God has a master plan and God is in control? Many Christians wonder how prayer fits into the question of sovereignty. And um, we've already got callers on the line. I've mentioned that Dr. Barry Kramer is here with me in the studio. Welcome, Dr. Kramer. Pleased to be here. Always glad. All right. Um, let's go ahead and take a call and just dive right in here. We've got Tom on the line. Tom from Otago. Tom, thank you for calling. How do you see this? What's your question? Well, Dr. Johnson and Dr. Kramer, uh, you know, God is sovereign in everything. And uh, I, t- I take comfort of that. And prayer is communication with God. And I go back to Genesis 26, uh, where, you know, God, he, he, he kept Abimelech from sinning against him and uh, uh, touching Sarah. So, and then, and he was... And, and you know, God came to him in a dream, and and he communicated with God on this, and and you know, in the integrity of the heart, he didn't do that. And God said, you know what, I kept you from touching her, and I would not let you sin against me. So, all right, Tom. Well, that shows certainly uh, God intervening. Uh, Doctor Kramer, let's do this uh, just to to start this out. Uh, let's define the sovereignty of God or the sure. providence of God, because sure. until we think about that concept. It's hard to see how 
really prayer, you know, might not play into it. Would you right. just describe that concept? Sure. It's a hugely important concept, especially in our culture right now when people are questioning whether God is actually omnipotent or not. So if you believe that God has all power and that he knows all things, then you have to believe that God is in control. There's no moment in our lives when things are not according to God's plan, according to God's purpose. The Bible makes it clear over and over again that we can have confidence he is in charge. So his being in charge, being on his throne, knowing everything that's happening, and the fact that nothing can happen without him is the evidence of his sovereignty, or what we're referring to when we talk about his sovereignty. Of course, the reason that makes it uh, uncomfortable for us in terms of prayer is that uh, if it's already his plan, he already knows what's happening, and it's happening according to what he intends, why are we trying to change his mind? Or should we stop trying to change his mind? That's what people ask in regards to his sovereignty. So we've been praying for Union University. Sure. We've been praying for the elections. Yes. We've been praying for Dr. Moeller. And here's the question people are going to ask. Well, look, if God has a plan and a purpose, really, could prayer alter that, change that, work within that? Let's let's talk about this tension for a few minutes. We've got Caroline on the line from Keller. Caroline, what's your question? What's your comment? My comment is, look at the times Jesus prayed. All through the, his life, he prayed to went by himself and prayed. And we're to take everything to God in prayer. Mm. So everything works through prayer. Hey, thanks, Caroline. That's, that's uh, you know, it's always good to go to Jesus, even more so on this issue. I'm thinking, Dr. Creamer, uh, <laughs> obviously the cross, if, if God ever planned anything, he planned the cross. Certainly. Before sure. the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God. That's okay. part of God's sovereign plan. Sure. Here's Jesus in the garden praying, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Right. What's going on there? Yeah, actually, uh, people take that different ways. I probably don't take it the way uh, a lot of people do. But uh, the way it's normally explained is that God has a different way of expressing his moral will, what he wants to happen because of his nature, his essential nature. And uh, it's what he commands for people to do. But he doesn't—now, this is how other people explain it. I'm just saying what they say. So they will say uh, he wants this to happen in terms of it being the right thing. So he commands it, but he doesn't determine that it's going to happen. And then he has a will that he has determined will happen, and he expresses that in his uh, divine uh, utterances. He commands that, for instance, the cross is going to happen. And so he brings about, uh, finally, the uh, equivalence of his will morally and his uh, his desire, uh, actually his determination for the future, eschatologically, meaning he brings it about in the future. So uh, that's how people generally read that. I, I actually believe Jesus is just being honest and saying, uh, of course, I mean, what would we expect him to say? I'm looking forward to dying on the cross. He's not looking forward to dying on the cross. There's a real, uh, there's a real problem with him going to the cross. He really is going to do what's unacceptable, what's uh, unfathomable in terms of God and in terms of any human being willingly doing it. Uh, but he chooses to deny himself and to accept his Father's will, and uh, in so doing is obedient. I, I think that models what Jesus teaches us about prayer. We have, to be able, we have to be honest to say, this is what I want, this is not what I want, and then to say to the Father, but that's not what's important. What's important is what you want. I want to yield to you. That's one of the models of how we pray. All right, we're talking about prayer. Can prayer really change things? The weather, a hurricane, a cancer, a tornado— can it even change the action of God? That's sort well, of there's the, ulti- the question. That's the ultimate question. <laughs> That's right. And we've got Steve on the line. Steve, thank you for calling and holding. What's your question? What's your view? 
Actually, it's not a question. It's a, a fact uh, given by the Lord. Okay. <laughs> uh, I came from St. Lucie County, Florida, where the only place in the history that we that got hit by three hurricanes dead on inside of 60 days. I lost my home in the second of the third. I brought two families in with me that had mobile homes. They lost their homes, but they were alive. Now, the third one completely demolished my home. I had, thank the Lord, a older mobile home as a weekender. Your Lord gave me a little extra money and gave me the opportunity, and I got it. Every one of the trailers in the park were flattened. Mine, which was the only one, by the way, with a cross of the Trinity, all three, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in front of it, had a 60-foot, 4-inch square aluminum beam wedged in it to keep it from going into my trailer. My trailer was totally untouched. Do you believe that was divine intervention? It sure was, because all we asked the Lord is to give us a home. Wow. And well, you know, here's what I would say. Look, the Bible's very clear. Every good gift and perfect gift comes from above, down right. from the Father of lights. Any good thing that happens in our life, any good thing in a storm, any right. piece of bread we get to eat, any hotel we can sleep in at night, any bed we have tonight, any friends and family, any close call, um, any ordinary provision right. is from the Lord. And especially when we seem to be saved. I'm just looking through some Psalms today. You know, the Psalms are packed with statements about being saved from my enemies and saved out of the distress, saved out of the difficulty. Right. And he always says, God, you did it, you did it, you did it. So I think that's a great testimony, just that you're crediting the Lord, right. um, Steve, for providing. Thank you so much for that testimony. All right, folks, the question, does prayer really change things? Here is Senator Chris Dodd talking about prayer in his life. I, I would not want to try and second-guess the, uh, the Lord's intentions here and to assume that part of his great plan includes uh, some of these actions we see here for a variety of different reasons here. And the power of prayer, I think, is important to all of us. I hope it is, recognizing that we don't do anything without his approval. All right. So the question in the Democrat debate some time ago was, you know, is God in the hurricane? Could God stop the hurricane? Do you think we should pray? And ask God to stop hurricanes. Biden, Edwards said, no, prayer can't change it. Mm. Dodd said, well, I don't know if we should blame God, but prayer is a good thing. <laughs> and basically, it's good for us. And that's really the question. Is prayer really just for us to feel better and to be more in tune with God? Or can prayer actually change things? Particularly, the activity of God. We're going to come with the answer in a little bit. The tension's still going here. You call in 800-881-9270. It's Jerry Johnson Live with Dr. Barry Kramer. We'll be right back. Hey, what are you doing with your life? If you're interested in doing ministry at college or just doing something for Christ now, come to Chriswell College and learn how you can get your education and get trained for ministry. Chriswell College in Dallas offers fully accredited bachelor's and master's degrees in biblical studies, youth ministry, missions, evangelism, counseling, and more. If you'd like to come and check us out, we're having a preview day on February 28th from 8.30 until 1 o'clock. Preview day is a free event where you can sit in on some classes, have lunch with professors, ask any questions that you may have, and worship with us in chapel. 
Give us a call today at 214-818-1393 to reserve your spot. We would love to help you out and answer any questions that you may have. Call us, 214-818-1393, or go to chriswell.edu. Call 800-899-0012 for more information about Preview Day at the Chriswell College. You can also see more information on the web at chriswell.edu. The Chriswell College in Dallas. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. In Iran, politics and religion are intertwined. You cannot have political freedom unless you have religious freedom. All right, that's Paul Marshall. He's senior fellow of the Hudson Institute. He's talking about Iran, and he's saying you're not going to have political freedom over there until you have religious freedom. He's talking about some new proposed laws in Iran that will make it even more difficult for people who are not Muslims. In the next segment, we're going to talk to the author of The Politically Incorrect Guide to the Middle East. He's going to talk about who are the Palestinians is this a false people group? That is, who are they historically? Is this just some sort of a construct? He's going to say that democracy in the Middle East is really not a good thing for us in America. So uh, you don't want to miss this this report at the half hour. But right now we're talking about prayer. And, of course, yesterday we had an expert from Time Magazine saying that the Democrats are getting religion. Here's Hillary Clinton talking about prayer. I don't pretend to understand um, the wisdom and the power of God. I do believe in prayer, and I have relied on prayer uh, consistently throughout my life. All right, so she says she prays. But here's the question. Can prayer change things, hurricanes, diseases, droughts, and can it even change the activity of God? I'm here with Dr. Barry Kramer. He teaches humanities, philosophy, theology at Criswell College. We've got callers on the line. Bob has been holding. Bob, what's your question or what's your view of this? Uh, Dr. Johnson, I feel that uh, prayer is a way that God can change a Christian to become a a stronger Christian and also uh, can be a stronger uh, Christian in faith and because God says that uh, whatever you ask in my name, I will uh, answer your prayer. Because I know that uh, in my life in 1989, I had 110 volts with an air-conditioned refrigeration tech going my left arm, <clears throat> and uh, then go through my hose, through my heart, through my head, and blow a hole in my right arm. And I know that it was a way that God tested my faith to see if I would stay strong in Him. Because my saying is, little faith, little little power. A lot of, lot, of, lot of prayer, a lot of power. All right. Thank you, Bob. Well, there's another testimony of uh, God's working, God's activity. Uh, the question is, can prayer change things? Can prayer even affect the activity of God? That is, he would do a miracle that he wasn't going to do. How, can we even think that way if we believe in the sovereignty the providence of God. We've got Ray on the line from Dallas. Ray, what's your view? Well, we have an example in the Bible where Abraham, through petitioning to God, changed God's mind a couple of times. You know, will you save, you know, Sodom if there's mm-hmm. 50 people, if there's 20 people, if there's 10 people? Ah, something's God going has... on there. Pardon? I said something's going on in that passage. God is interacting, if not reacting, 
to Abraham. Is that what yes. you're saying? Yes, he is. And I believe that he had a, a definite end result in mind, but he was willing to change uh, and to adjust. The end result was he still destroyed the wicked people. But he was willing, as always, his goal is to save those who are willing to be saved. But I think that that shows us, and there's other things in the Bible where people petition God and he changed. He, you know, he caused the natural state of the sun and the moon to change by having it the, the sun stand still. Well, thanks, Ray. You're right. You brought up some good illustrations. We've got to move on here. We've got other callers waiting. But thank you. You know, uh, Dr. Creamer, she's reminding us of several passages which seem to indicate that as a consequence of prayer, God doing a miracle, mm-hmm. even changing something he had announced. Right. Uh, how does this relate to what people are calling open theism today? Right. Well, I think uh, in particular the examples she gave uh, might be compatible with someone still believing God didn't change his mind. He still brought the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, and uh, he still brought about the results that he had announced ahead of time. Even with Hezekiah, he just had to talk Hezekiah into praying the right thing, right? Something like that is what someone could say. But the open theists, uh, their belief is that God doesn't know what's going to happen in the future. Uh, they don't deliberately mean to insult God, but they are, and they're questioning what is a basic orthodox doctrine, and that is that God is not bound by anything, not by ignorance of any kind. And so the open theists, the only the, the reason they have for saying that, that God doesn't know some things about the future, is that they want to believe change can happen. But I believe change can happen. I, I certainly do believe God can do things differently. God can change his mind. I'm just using Old Testament language when it says God repents. I know we'd rather translate that as relent, but it's the same word when it says God does not repent as a man and when it says God repented of what he had decided to do. So it does say that he does that. But it's not a repentance where he's regretful or sorrowful or where he's surprised or where he didn't know what was going to happen. It doesn't involve not knowing to say that change can happen and change can be real. And one of the statements I would I would use Jonah, by the way, for the example that Ray was trying to get at, because there's a proclamation that has no repentance built into it. You will be destroyed in 40 days. But they pray, and God does not destroy them. And there is no acceptive clause in the in the entire book that says, well, God, of course, had decided ahead of time to have mercy on them anyway. He had mercy because they repented. Let's come back to that in a few minutes. But, uh, folks, we're asking you to call 800-881-9270. we got Paul on the line from Frisco. Paul, thank you for holding. What's your question? What's your view? Yeah, a uh, question for Dr. Kramer. When you say God is sovereign and God is in control, yes. there's no doubt that he is. Right. But when you talk about how things happen, he's in control and it's his perfect plan, how do you intellectually or philosophically negotiate or explain to other people that, okay, God is in control, but it was not his perfect plan for Adam and Eve to be thrown out of the garden. It's not his perfect plan for a soldier in sure. Africa to blow a little girl's brains out with an AK-47. How, I mean, how right. do you, what do you say to people about Sure. That? It's one of the fundamental questions. I appreciate the, uh, for, the insightfulness. Very good, yes. Yeah, I appreciate the insightfulness of the question also. It's called the theodicy when we ask that question. It just means how can God allow evil if he's so sovereign and so powerful? And uh, that actually is built into my understanding of prayer and freedom and sovereignty, all of those together, because it is not God's desire for a person to kill a little girl, and it is not God's desire or plan for people to have sinned, but it does not thwart God's plan when Adam and Eve sin in the garden. Your question 
was, how can we say God wanted Adam and Eve to be cast out of the garden? He didn't want Adam and Eve to be cast out of the garden, but they sinned. See, the, the problem is thinking that because we choose something other than what God has commanded us to do, that we've created that choice. He gave us the choice to begin with, which means built into the choice was also his ability to make not just a tolerable solution out of what happened, but the very best of all possible things that could be done, because he's not like us. He's not bound and limited by the choices that we make. We make a choice, and we have no control over the consequences. But every time we make a choice, he has complete control over the consequences and what he decides to do with it. And this is, for all my friends who are listening and frustrated with what I'm saying right now, this is one of the most important things to understand. God has decided to use our freedom to change the world and to glorify himself and to make himself known to the world. And part of the evidence of his sovereignty is that he's not thwarted in glorifying his name or exalting or revealing his love and grace or whatever it is by anything we do. So when we sin and deliberately go against what he intended for us to do, it does not tie his hands from being able to accomplish what his sovereign purpose is. All right, we've got another caller on the line. Tina, thank you for calling. What's your question? What's your view? My view or my comment is um, toward prayer and the Hillary Clinton comment. Um, I say that absolutely God can, can be in the operative word, uh, change things through prayer, but it does not mean that he necessarily will. Um, mm. In the scriptures, Paul sought God three times to yes. restore him from his side, and he came back and said, my grace is sufficient. So, uh, And I'm sure the people that were in New Orleans prayed, there were people praying and asking God to turn that hurricane back, but it, it was not his sovereign will at the time. So absolutely God can, but it does not mean necessarily that he will. But you Thank did. you, Tina. Thank you so much for that comment. You know, Dr. Kramer, Paul used to bring healing, uh, praying for people, sure. even his handkerchief and so forth. <laughs> right. Peter. No, that's an odd I story. Mean, so, but uh, in fact, he prayed three times and God did not That's right. heal him. That's right. Well, we're not pretending that we become sovereign when we pray or that we have changed the nature of God when he determines to do something in response to our prayer. We, we, we don't command for God to do things. He invites us, though, to come and pray and change things because we pray. Uh, part of the equation is simply he, he, he wants us to have an impact on the world, mm. and he wants us to have an impact on how he is affecting things in this world. And prayer is an invitation for us to participate in that. If we don't participate, things don't happen that would have happened otherwise. It's a really important understanding of how just how important this world is to him. It's not a game. It's not uh, a drama that's going on. It is a reality that's unfolding, and the consequences of our choices and our prayers and our lack of prayer has a real effect in people's lives. Okay, I'm reading from James chapter 5. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It Great. does work. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Yep. Then again he prayed, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. It changed the weather. That's right. It changed the weather, his prayer. And uh, I think Dr. Creamer uh, hit the nail on the head that um, part of God's will involves human freedom. Yes. It does. And he is not thwarted even when we disobey him. And he is pleased to react and interact with that freedom as we pray and turn to him. God ordains not only the ends, but the means. And one of the means is prayer. Right. And remember this, in the worst 
evil choice that ever occurred, the choice to crucify Jesus on the cross, God came through victoriously, and God turned something evil into something great and glorious and glorifying. And don't forget my definition of God's omnipotence. God always, God can do anything He wants to do. God can do anything He wants to do, and He always does. (laughs) All right? And He may just do it, reacting, interacting with your prayer. When we come back, the Middle East. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Jews are forbidden to visit Israel. Jewish families cannot travel abroad together. Jewish schooling is forbidden, as is the study of Hebrew. Uh, since 1979, Jews have been executed for religious reasons or allegations of spying for Israel. All right, that's Paul Marshall. He's senior fellow of the Hudson Institute. He's talking to the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. He's talking about Iran, the way Iran treats Jewish people, saying there can be no political freedom without religious freedom. Do we really understand the Middle East? We hear all the talk about peace in the Middle East. Are we even aspiring for the right goals? Are they misguided? With us to talk about it? The author of the book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to the Middle East, Martin Thief. Martin Thief is Thief, not Thief. Martin Thief is the managing editor of international affairs for United Press International. Martin Thief, thank you for being with us. Um, here's a story that's out today. The head of Hezbollah says the disappearance of Israel is an inevitable fact. It's an historical process in the region, which will come to an end in several years. Um, Do we have a realistic view of what's going on in the Middle East? In some respects, we do, and in some respects, we don't, Jerry. Oh, incidentally, the promotional literature that they sent out to you got garbled. On the book, I'm listed as managing editor at UPI. I put in my tour of service on that. Extremely exhausting work. I'm glad to say it's behind me. These days, I'm chief news analyst. Well, that was Martin Thief that I was talking about. Now we're talking to Martin Thief. We are indeed. (laughs) Now, uh, the answer is, uh, do Americans understand the Middle East? Are our aspirations correct ones? Our aspirations are certainly correct ones, because what do we want? We want peace. We want prosperity. We want democracy. We want freedom of religion. We want free markets. Not only is there nothing wrong with those things, uh, more people in the world should want them. There's nothing wrong with our goals. But as I point out in my book, we've been going about trying to get those goals in entirely the wrong way. Democracies can develop in their own fashion in the Middle East, but you can't simply take an American or British or European framework, or a Japanese or Indian framework either for that matter, and simply impose it as we did in Iraq, lock, stock and barrow. It just doesn't work. It doesn't take. The president referred to the emergence of a democratic state in uh, uh, the Palestine Authority areas in his State of the Union speech. Yet the most recent election in Gaza gave a sweeping victory to Hamas, which is the last thing in the world from a democratic (laughs) organization. It's dedicated to the genocidal destruction of the Jewish state. Its leaders hate America like poison, as is well known. So I think this is a case where ordinary Americans understand what's going on in the Middle East often much better than the policymakers in Washington do. 
Martin, let me ask you about the Palestinian question, because I think now we have come to believe in at least a moral equivalency between the Israelis and the Palestinians and uh, the mainstream media, actually a bias in favor of the Palestinians. Who are the Palestinians? Who are these people? Where did they come from? Do they have an historic right to that property? A lot of them do, as in the case of the Jews, a lot of them do, some of them don't. There certainly was at least a population of half a million, almost all Arab, in Palestine before the Zionist settlement started more than 100 years ago. But that was much smaller than now. And in the 1920s and 30s, under the British mandate, far more Arabs than Jews immigrated into Palestine, which is not generally known. In the 1930s, the British kept a tight control on Jewish immigration into Palestine. It had to come by sea. The Royal Navy was the most powerful in the world. They locked it off. Hundreds of thousands of people who were killed in the Holocaust would have survived if uh, the Royal Navy and the British Empire had not turned them back from Palestine, from entering the Palestine mandate. By contrast, hundreds of thousands of Arabs came into the prosperity that British government and Jewish investment and development had brought to Palestine, and they simply walked across the Golan Heights. They simply walked across the land frontier. They crossed the Allenby Bridge. Border land controls were absolutely cursory. The British didn't care who came in or went out, at least not until the late 1930s when there was a serious Arab revolt backed by Syria. Until then, you could come and go as you please. No figures were ever kept, but we know the figures were massive. This is Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Martin Seif. He's the author of the book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to the Middle East. With me in the studio, Dr. Barry Creamer, who teaches humanities and philosophy here at Criswell College. Martin, let me ask you this question. Um, You believe the mistake in going to war with Iraq was when we did it. Would you talk about that for a moment? Yes, certainly. There was always a case against going, going to Baghdad. There was a case for doing it. There was a case against it in 1991. The call was not a clear one. We, uh, uh, the world would probably be a much better place if pre- the first President Bush had pushed on to uh, uh, Baghdad then. But had we gone on to Baghdad in 1991, we had a huge army of hundreds of thousands of men. The, the combined army was 700,000 strong. It was the largest military force the Middle East has ever seen. It was very effective. And if we kept it there for a few months in 1991 after toppling Saddam, we could have guaranteed law and order. We could have guaranteed a smooth change over to a new uh, type of government. And also the first President Bush and his very able national security advisor, General Brent Scowcroft, and that great Texan, uh, the Secretary of State James A. Baker, knew the complexities of the region. They understood them very well. They would not have made the mistakes that the second President Bush and his neoconservative advisors made in 2003. They would not have bet blindly on a crooked clown like Ahmed Chalabi, who uh, can never go back to the Kingdom of Jordan, which is a democratic nation with an independent judiciary, where he was convicted for embezzling $19 million more than almost 20 years ago. And this was the man that Bush II policymakers 
troublemakers put their faith in to rebuild Iraq and win the confidence of the Iraqi people. Martin, the whole idea was absurd. Martin, Barry Creamer here. I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you for a minute. Sure. Can, I, can I ask you a real quick question about this? Uh, you had mentioned the difficulty of trying to introduce democracy into an Arab Muslim or Middle East culture just by fiat, just saying it's going exactly. to be Western culture. Well, you know, I heard the Dalai Lama ask this question one time. He was asked what he would introduce to Tibetan or Chinese culture that would be different if he could. And he said separation of church and state. That's the thing that would allow his culture to have the f- kind of freedom and prosperity that comes to a culture like uh, America. That's the one thing he wished they had in their culture that we have in ours. I'm asking you, what would be the one thing that would have to change, if you could narrow it down to one, for us to be able to introduce legitimate democracy to an Arab or Muslim culture? Well, first of all, I think the Dalai Lama being the good and wise man that he is, <laughs> I agree with you. I think uh, separation of church and state would be a way to go. The irony is, what was the country in the Middle East where you had the most separation of church and state? Turkey. It was Iraq under the tyranny of Saddam Hussein. Oh, right, Saddam right. was basically because he was an secular. reconstructed communist. Mm-hmm. His hero was Stalin. It's no coincidence the mustaches look alike. I, I'm quite serious about this. Sure. Uh, no, Saddam, I understand. You know, made no secret of admiring Stalin. But having said that, there's another change which uh, can be made, happens gradually, is hap- has happened in some Arab countries, is, is happening in others, but it's crucial. And that is you cannot have a stable democracy without a stable property-owning middle class, which demands and eventually gets a modern legal system with uh, uh, protection of uh, civil rights and protection of property rights. Right. You have never had a successful democracy anywhere in the world sure. without a, a, a solid property-owning sub uh, uh, low, uh, lower middle class and working class population who have a stake in the country. Well, I guess we my question for you. Two hundred years ago. I guess my question for you is, how do we get that? Uh, I'm asking. A, I, I mean, I'm asking seriously, not to compete with. I think you're right on the mark. I, I'm no, just I asking in practical terms. Board. Absolutely. When I when I hear, uh, you know, when I hear they need separation of church and state, I think of the flyers I saw around TWU after 9/11, which said, uh, "Come hear a speaker talk about a religion that unites family, religion, and politics." under one authority, and it was the Muslim uh, culture. They, they think it has to be tied together, and it seems to me that also prevents the kind of freedom, the autonomy that allows for a, a free market, uh, capitalism as well. So how do we, how do we get the, the middle class also? The That's the same question. Prosperity doesn't, it's not impossible. If you look at uh, Malaysia, Malaysia's foreign policy is very nasty and hostile to the United States. Right. But it's been a, not only a successful democracy, an extraordinarily economically impressive one. I mean, I know Malaysia very well. They, uh, when the British left half a century ago, they kept Malaysia virtually in the Stone Age. They just used the Malaysian people as semi-slave labor on the plantations to type rubber. Today, Malaysia makes automobiles. Its economy is as advanced as the Netherlands or Belgium. Right. And it has a higher per capita standard of living than the Netherlands, huh. and it's based on solid industry and has a tremendous middle class. Uh, the, uh, uh, again, the, the yeah. econo- I think you have to start with the economics first. I was surprised when I wrote my book. I've been a Reagan conservative my whole life. And even I was taken by surprise by the degree to which economic policy, whether it's free market or right. socialist, shapes political and human destiny in the Middle East. So you're the saying countries that understand or pay, even pay lip service, right. not pay lip service to, but try to work within the free market free system, market. like the uh, Saudi Arabia and the Gulf nations prosper. So does Morocco, Jordan, 
Okay. All three of which are democracies. So what we should be doing, you're saying, is promoting free market economics in those environments. Exactly. It's really scary, then, that in our culture we're running away from a free market in so many areas. Oh, completely agree, man. All right, Martin, we're out of time. This has been fascinating. Martin Seif, he's written this book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to the Middle East. Martin Seif, thank you for being with us. A very great pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, folks. What is democracy? It's government of the people, by the people, and for the people. But when the people are messed up and they're following a false religion, democracy is not a good thing necessarily. For instance, Sharia law is incompatible with our concept of democracy. Democracy in Palestine put Hamas in power. Hamas wants to destroy Israel. Democracy, not a good thing in Palestine. When we come back, how do you know who to vote for, who to vote against, what to vote for, what to vote against? We're going to talk to Richard Ford from the Heritage Alliance about a voter's guide they've put together. Maybe an update on John McCain, Hillary Clinton today. We'll be right back. Hey, what are you doing with your life? If you're interested in doing ministry at college or just doing something for Christ now, come to Chriswell College and learn how you can get your education and get trained for ministry. Chriswell College in Dallas offers fully accredited bachelor's and master's degrees in biblical studies, youth ministry, missions, evangelism, counseling, and more. If you'd like to come and check us out, we're having a preview day on February 28th from 8.30 until 1 o'clock. Preview Day is a free event where you can sit in on some classes, have lunch with professors, ask any questions that you may have, and worship with us in chapel. Give us a call today at 214-818-1393 to reserve your spot. We would love to help you out and answer any questions that you may have. Call us, 214-818-1393, or go to chriswell.edu. Call 800-899-0012 for more information about Preview Day at the Chriswell College. You can also see more information on the web at chriswell.edu. The Chriswell College in Dallas. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Chriswell College and Chriswell Communications. It ain't over until Texas says it's over. All right, that's Mike Huckabee, former governor of Arkansas. He's running for president of the United States. He is in Texas, big rally two nights ago in Plano, and also live here on Jerry Johnson Live at 6 o'clock again two days ago. And one of the things Huckabee has said, this is a headline out today, a deadlock convention is my goal. If he could win Texas and a couple of other major states, He could actually keep McCain from getting the necessary delegates. He couldn't beat McCain in delegate count, but he could keep McCain from reaching the magic number of 11, whatever it is, 1160, 1190, whatever it is. And it would go to the convention. And there's been a McCain scandal in the last day or two. And something else could happen, an October surprise. There'd need to be a May or June surprise. But in any case, Huckabee thinking if he could get it to the convention— he could persuade the conventioneers that he is the true conservative and they ought to turn and go to him. It's a long shot, but Huckabee says, I specialize in miracles. And uh, who knows? Mike Huckabee. Well, maybe you already know who you're voting for at the top, but maybe you don't and you want some help. But what about those second tier candidates, the judges, the state 
legislators. You need some help. You need some guidance. Let's talk about it with Richard Ford. He's president of the Heritage Alliance. They've been working on uh, voter guides. Richard, welcome to the program. Pleasure to be with you, Jerry. Rich, uh, Richard, let's talk about this. Um, talk about what you've done with your guide and, uh, you know, how particularly going in, I mean, a lot of people know what they want to do at the top of the ticket, but uh, there's much more than the the primary or the presidential candidate. I mean, we've got congressmen, we've got senators, we've got uh, people, judges. Um, what have you done there to help us? You know, Jerry, I started thinking about this uh, actually a couple of years ago and realized that, you know, when you choose elect, when you elect uh, public officials, it's kind of like when you're writing a will, you know, you're choosing a guardian for your children in case something happens to you. Or if you're going to uh, maybe want to take a sabbatical and you want to choose somebody, a trustee, to run your business. But, you know, you wouldn't just let anybody be the guardian of your children. Well, that's true. You, you wouldn't let anybody, you know, take over the control of your business. So, so with politicians, elected officials, they have exorbitant power. They can regulate, for instance, where you can worship. They can uh, decide what your children are going to be taught. They can actually regulate your business out, out of business and decide what taxes you're going to pay. So in order to make good decisions, you want to be sure that people that you put in those positions are of impeccable character, you know, that they're wise as far as the proper role of government. A lot of people today think, oh, well, the government's supposed to be providing for me instead of just protecting me so that I can provide for myself. And then lastly, one of the things I've seen through the years I've worked, especially with the Texas legislature, you really need to have people with courage, enough courage to stand alone, if necessary, for principle. So anyway, what we decided to do is we would evaluate candidates from the top of the ticket down to the bottom. That includes, like, sheriff and county commissioner and all those things a lot of people don't even know that exist. And the way we did it is we had a panel of very, uh, you know, prominent uh, conservative pro-family leaders look not only at what the candidates have said, but we had them look at, like, voting records. Voting record is excellent because, you know, it's what they actually voted for, not what they said they would do. So voting record, to me, is kind of the gold standard. Mm. And another thing we would look at is, you know, uh, who has endorsed these candidates? And sometimes it's did they get good endorsements or bad endorsements from somebody? Sometimes you know to vote against someone because all the right people are for them. Say that again. I didn't <laughs> That is, sometimes you might know who to vote for or against because of who is endorsing them or who isn't. Oh, yeah, right. I mean, if somebody comes out and they're endorsed by, say, the Emily's List or the pro-abortion or something like that, or they've given money. You know, that's a good indicator to say, well, certainly don't want to vote for them. All right, our guest is Richard Ford. He's president of the Heritage Alliance. I've got Dr. Barry Kramer in the studio with me here. Uh, let me ask you this, Richard. We're running short on time. Uh, you're giving grades. Is that correct to these candidates? And tell us how we can find uh, these guides. All right. The, uh, the guide is, is at www.txvote.com. That's T-X-V-O-T-E. Dot com. And he goes from president all the way down to the local sheriff. Right, and let me just say that actually because of our federal laws, thanks to people like uh, 
uh, John McCain. <laughs> we, we actually have to have two different websites, but if they go to txvote.com, that will take care of the state and local races. Right. And then there is a link there to go for the federal races. And basically we've given everybody an A, a B, a C, or an F. And this is what the panel has done. You can also see who the, who's on the panel. Very distinguished group. And they, if they were 90% confident that if that candidate was elected, they would govern conservatively, they gave them an A. If they were 80% confident, they gave them a B. All right, that makes sense. Let me ask you a final question, Richard. Uh, National Journal has ranked Barack Obama as the most liberal out of 100 senators, even behind uh, that socialist senator up there from Vermont. He is the most liberal, according to the National Journal. Do you disagree with that ranking? Who am I to disagree with the National Journal? (laughs) All right. Richard Ford, president of the Heritage Alliance. Again, that website, txvote.com. You can get a voter guide to help you on the issues and the candidates this season. Richard, thank you for being with us. Hey, thank you, Jerry, for what you do and the inf- information you get out. All right, folks. Uh, Dr. Barry Creamer with me today in studio. Dr. Creamer, we've talked about prayer. We've talked about the Middle East. We've talked about voting. Closing thoughts. Oh, uh, my closing thoughts are I am glad prayer changes things when I look at the political scenario yes. in our country right now because, truly, I, I would be distressed every night when I went to bed if I couldn't wake up every morning and say, Lord, I'm remembering this is your world that we're concerned about, your name we want to be holied, your will that we want to be done in this world. So I trust all of that to him. I turn it over to him, and I ask him to provide what I need for the day, including forgiveness and a direction to go, and then it's up to him. All right, why do we talk politics uh, about half the time on this show? Uh, Because Jesus said we're to be salt, we're to be light. He Mm -hmm. says we're to render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. That's right. And in a Republican democracy, a representative democracy— that means you vote. You are Caesar. That's right. The government of, for, and by the people means you are involved in self-government, and you should vote. You should vote informed. I'll never forget when uh, Washington, D.C. Mayor Marion Barry was caught on video doing those drugs. Mm-hmm. He was reelected. And uh, one commentator said, look, corrupt people will elect corrupt politicians every Mm -hmm. time. Who we elect tells a whole lot about who we are as a nation, what's important, what our values are. Well, Christians ought to be salt. We ought to be light. We ought to make a difference. This is Jerry Johnson Live with Dr. Barry Creamer from Criswell College. We'll be back Monday. Don't miss it. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.